I'd just like to welcome everyone who's joining us for our live stream. It's just one part of our service here at City Temple and Chelsea Community Church. You can be part of the whole thing via Zoom by dropping us an email, or you can join us in person on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. here at Chelsea Community Church. If you have your Bible, let's go to three different places. First of all, let's go to uh, Isaiah, uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 8, starting with verse 11. Before we read, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for the Bible. I thank you that it is trustworthy and true. And I thank you that it shows us accurately how you desire us to live. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, communicate your word to us today. And let your spirit rest on me that I could bring your word to your people boldly and faithfully through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. And then to Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, a very famous passage, starting with verse 25 here in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking here and he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And then to Luke, Luke chapter 10, starting at the end there, verse 30, 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. 
And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, this past week was the World Economic Forum in Davos. And you know what that means? Conspiracy theories. Every year, the conspiracy theories abound. Even uh, many people consider the World Economic Forum itself a conspiracy to take over the world. I think it's going to bring in a new world order, a great reset that's going to cause the whole world to change and come under a one world government. And you know, the, the striking thing about this is, one, that it's not a conspiracy, but two, is that one day there will be a conspiracy of a one world government to take over the world under the Antichrist. You know, and I think that's part of what gives the conspiracies their power. But uh, there are so many conspiracies. Uh, I, like, I like one of these, this one, uh, that the royal family here in the UK and actually all the other countries who have royal families are part of what's called the Illuminati. And, uh, and all of them got their power because their human ancestors mated with reptilian aliens that had come to the earth. And, uh, and this explains why they're so obsessed with keeping their bloodlines clean with other royals. Uh, and, uh, and some people have actually seen members of the royal family change into these reptiles, these reptile aliens, and back again. I mean, that's a pretty good one. That's a pretty good one. You know, speaking of the Illuminati, there's another one. And that is that the Illuminati and the National Security Agency of the United States are working together to take over the world. You know, and, and they claim that there's some evidence for this. And here's the evidence. If you spell Illuminati backwards, if you put it in your browser, Illuminati spelled backwards.com, it will take you to the National Security Agency website. Do you know that's true? It does take you to the National Security Agency website, uh, but there's no conspiracy there. There's no conspiracy there. Uh, here's another one. I like this one, that uh, the marriage of Meghan Markle to Prince Harry was actually a political plot to reunify the United Kingdom and the United States. Because, because now that uh, the children of Harry are, are American citizens, they can become the president of the United States and they can also become a king or queen of the United Kingdom. And so it's gonna bring them both back together. That's a good conspiracy, I like that one. Uh, this one is one that's gone around for quite a long time. Queen Elizabeth I. Now, not Queen Elizabeth II, because we all know her. Queen Elizabeth I was a man. Yeah, I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. 
uh, the King Henry sent uh, his young daughter, Elizabeth, to a small village uh, to avoid the plague. But unfortunately, she died there. But her governess was so afraid to tell the king, because you know what he did to women, uh, so afraid to tell the king that they looked for somebody that looked kind of like her, and they couldn't find any suitable young girls, so they found a farm boy named Neville. And, uh, and Neville uh, grew up to be the queen, and the plan worked, and that's why she never got married, according to these conspiracy theorists. You know, of course, but that's not nearly as upsetting as King Charles. King Charles, I, I hate to tell you this, is a vampire. <laughs> he is indeed a vampire. He is related by blood to Vlad the Impaler from Romania, uh, which is true. And he actually keeps a home in Romania. You know, that's, uh, so I don't know how it is that he stays out in the sunshine. But he does that. He does that. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, okay, here's another one. E.T. You know what E.T. is, right? The extraterrestrial. E.T. is actually buried in the New Mexico desert. E.T. is buried in the New Mexico desert. And you know, that's true. It's absolutely true. The Atari video game, based on the movie E.T. the Extraterrestrial, was so bad, nobody would buy it. And so Atari buried all the extra copies in a landfill in New Mexico. <laughs> Absolutely true. Absolutely true. And here, you know, last one here, uh, perhaps one of the best, is that the Dalai Lama is an agent of the CIA. which is actually was true. Back in the 1960s, the CIA paid the Dalai Lama uh, and to, to support the movement to destabilize the Chinese in Tibet. So it's interesting, you know, all these, these conspiracy theories that are around. And, you know, we joke a little bit, but golly, I can't tell you over the years how many conspiracy theories I've heard and how many times people have come up to me you know, the conspiracies like, you know, Christian leaders like Rick Warren is in league with something else. And it, it's like the seven degrees of separation, you know, that Rick Warren's uh, second cousin on his mother's side was, was related to, uh, went to, went to university with somebody who turned out to be a Satanist. So Rick Warren's a Satanist, you know, and it, it's kind of stuff that just drives me crazy. And it probably drove God crazy as well. Because that's why he said to Isaiah, don't call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Now, but that doesn't mean that there aren't conspiracies. Clearly there are, and there have been many in the history of the world, but we have to think about them and challenge them and question them quite a bit. But you know, I think one of the great conspiracies against us, oftentimes is the one that goes on in our own minds. Because there are things in us, there are things that we don't deal with that conspire together to bring us down, that conspire together to weaken our minds. Back in December, the team at Pray and Mignon and the team, they had a word about mindset. 
and how we have to take care of our mindset. We need to watch out. We need to take every thought captive. And they had that verse there from 2 Corinthians. Take every thought captive to deal with this idea of mindset because if you get the wrong mindset, it destroys everything you want to do. You cannot function in a healthy way as a Christian with an unhealthy mindset. You cannot function in a healthy way if you allow this conspiracy against you, this internal conspiracy, internal conspiracy to prevail. But the problem is, in part, that sometimes we try to hide or disguise the conspiracy. We try to hide or disguise the things that are going on as if somehow, oh, it's Christian or it's religious because we all have a tendency to deceive ourselves. So we need to unmask this conspiracy and deal with it decisively because if we don't, this conspiracy in our minds can be both animated and inhabited by demons. In other words, demons like to stir it up and if you allow it to go on, you can bring demonization into your life and into your thought processes. This conspiracy that goes on in our mind is certainly reinforced by the world around us, sometimes introduced by the world around us. And uh, as I was praying here for this month and the things that the Lord wanted us to deal with in the year ahead, some of the elements of this conspiracy were in the word of the Lord for us, and we need to pay attention. So we need to unmask this dangerous conspiracy against us. And this conspiracy against us in our minds is a conspiracy of three things, dread, anxiety, and being troubled. Dread or fear, anxiety, and being troubled. And these three things, if left unchecked in your mind, will change your mindset will weaken you and make you ineffective, not only in living as a Christian, but living your life. So we need to understand these three things and how they work uh, and how deadly they are. So let's start with dread. Dread or fear attracts what you dread. Dread attracts what you dread. Fear attracts what you fear. Let me explain. I have a very, very dear friend. Uh, known them for a very, very long time, more than 25 years. Uh, Lordy. Uh, and uh, love her very, very much. Uh, most of you don't know who she is. Uh, that's a friend of mine, Karen and me. And I remember from the earliest time that she was always talking about brain cancer. I don't know why. She's always just saying, I don't want to get brain cancer. I, don't, I really hope I don't get brain cancer. Oh, I'd really hate to have brain cancer. And I'm thinking, what are you thinking about brain cancer? And after 20 years, uh, I don't want to get brain cancer. Guess what she got? Brain cancer. Brain cancer. Now, thank the Lord, she's been healed, and she's in remission, and she's not going to die from brain cancer. Hallelujah. And she's no longer fearful of brain cancer, by the way. The Lord brought her through it. But there is a dynamic about fear. There's a dynamic about dread. And dread is actually the better word here. Uh, uh, because fear 
you know, if, if you had a snake right here in front of you, you'd be afraid, and that's kind of a natural good response. But dread is being fearful of something that might be lurking there, but you don't know it for sure. You know, to, to get the idea of dread, it's kind of like watching a scary film. I don't know if you've ever done that. You watch this scary film, and you watch it on TV, and then the person, they, they come, and you know that there's some bad guy or evil thing that's waiting for them, right? And they walk in the room, and they don't turn on the light. You know, what do you do? You're watching the television. I don't know what you do. I know what I do. Turn on the light, you stupid! You're going to die! But they don't. You know, and, and that anticipation. You know at any moment something awful is going to happen, and you don't know exactly when it is. And you think, well, if they'd only turn on the light. That, that feeling is a feeling of dread. It's dread is the sense of anticipating fear that something bad is going to happen to you. And you're afraid of it coming. You think it might come. You're worried about it. It's like what uh, Solomon said in Proverbs 10, 24. What the wicked dreads will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. Now we need to be aware of dread. You need to be, I begin to identify any areas of dread in your life. Is there something, uh, I, I've seen dread keep people from getting married who should have gotten married. I've seen guys, and I've seen uh, men and women both. I've seen them, like maybe they came from a, a family that was broken in divorce. Maybe they saw some of the worst things that could possibly happen. And they're like, I really, really would like to be married. I really, really love this person. But what if we get a divorce? What if this thing could happen to us? That's dread. And if you walk around with dread, if you allow it to continue in your mind, it will conspire against you to rob you of God's blessing in your life. So dread attracts what you dread. And that's why it's so devastating. Dread attracts whatever it is you dread. You can actually create a self, what we call self-fulfilling prophecy by dreading something. Now, I've seen this happen so often. People will dread rejection. So what do they do? They act in a way to get somebody to reject them. Because somehow they're in control. So that's the first thing. The second dynamic here, the second thing that's conspiring in our minds is anxiety. And the thing to know about anxiety is that anxiety distorts everything. Dread attracts what you dread. Anxiety distorts everything. Anxiety is being overly concerned about something that's uncertain or unpredictable. And it builds up inside of us. It can happen about our finances, what's going to happen with regard to uh, the energy prices, the war in Ukraine, any kind of, anything like that that's uncertain, unpredictable, that's important to you, can, start, uh, can cause anxiety to start to well up inside of you. The important thing to understand about this, uh, this over-concern, this deep unease 
that comes because you're overly concerned about something. That's what the, the anxiety is, the deep, deep unease. This anxiety distorts everything in your life. Everything. If you have anxiety, even a small bit of anxiety, it's a bit like having a small drop of soap in your eye. You know what? You don't need a lot of suds in your eye. You just need one little bit of soap in your eye, and you're like, ah, I can't do this. I can't, I can't see anything. That's what anxiety does. Even a little bit of it is very dangerous. It distorts everything. It distorts your perceptions. It distorts your perspectives. It distorts what you think you see, what you think you hear, what you think you feel. It distorts your relationships. It distorts everything. When you have anxiety, you are not hearing what you think you hear. You are not seeing what you think you see. You are not uh, responding to people in the way you think you're responding. So often people who are walking in anxiety, they think, oh, everything's fine for me, but they act like jerks and they're so offensive to other people. And they don't even understand how destructive they're being in their relationships because anxiety distorts everything. You know, it's, it's amazing to me uh, the number of times that I've been talking with somebody. And, you know, sometimes people can get anxious when they're talking to the minister. I don't like that, but it happens. You know, I understand it. And, uh, and, and there are times I've had people who expected me to speak a word of rebuke, and I speak a word of encouragement, and their initial reaction is like I rebuke them. And then it's like, whoa, oh, oh, that was a good thing you just said, wasn't it? I said, yeah, it was. Because well, that's the way it works. I remember one time, uh, this is a lot, a lot of years ago, I had had some intense uh, brokenness in a relationship that I had with a friend. And, uh, and I got a report and, and the friend and I, we were mending things. It was, it was going okay. But I got a report from somebody that sounded like my friend had betrayed a trust. And man, everything welled up in, within me. The anxiety just bubbled up and bubbled up. And, bu and I was just, I, you know, I was angry. I, wanted, I just wanted to let him have it, you know, deal with this. But I said, no, I'm not going to do that because I'd learned about anxiety before that. And so I dealt with my anxiety. And I said, oh, I'll wait till I can talk with a friend. And actually, because I calmed down and waited, I found out later that the friend had not done anything wrong, that they had not betrayed a trust. But I almost caused destruction in the relationship because of my anxiety. And anxiety, if you don't deal with it, it will conspire against you in your mind. Because anxiety distorts everything. If you have anxiety, everything, everything, everything is distorted by it. Is that clear? It's so important to understand. So you've got the dread. Dread attracts what is dreaded. Anxiety distorts Everything. Thank you very much. Anxiety distorts everything. And the third thing is being troubled. Or you can say being distressed, being disturbed, being upset on the inside. Uh, 
Being troubled distracts from what is really important. Being troubled distracts what is really important. Now, dread is an anticipatory fear that something bad might happen. Okay? Anxiety is this unease and, and uh, unpleasant sense of discomfort because you're overly concerned about something that's uncertain or, or unpredictable. Being troubled has to do with, oh, I got a lot to do. I, I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to take care of this. I need to worry about that. The great example of being troubled was Martha. Here she is. She's got Jesus in her house. And she's running around trying to fix food for everybody and trying to take care of everything. Mary, I mean, she recognizes, whoa, Jesus is in the house. Uh, maybe I'm going to sit and listen for a while. You know, and, and Martha, she's just running around and she's not connecting. And Jesus said, oh, Martha, Martha, you are troubled about many things. You're distracted. But one thing's important, and that's what Mary's chosen. So that's the idea of being troubled. Being troubled distracts from what's really important. It's often caused, being troubled is often caused by uh, distress and turmoil on the outside. Not necessarily something that you're dealing with. Anxiety oftentimes comes bubbling up from the inside. Uh, dread comes bubbling up from the inside. But many times being troubled is because of all the stuff going on around you and how you have to deal with that and how you have to respond to it. Uh, I remember one time in my own life where being troubled just really just blinded me. It was unbelievable. It was uh, my first church. And uh, every year about October, I'd sit down with all, all the elders and I'd talk through the year a uh, year gone by, and uh, we talked through everything, and I gave, you know, kind of my state of the church address just to the elders, thank God, uh, at this time. And, and for me, I was troubled by so many things. I was just like, well, this was bad, and this was bad. This didn't quite work out. This was, uh, and, and, and it was like the, my report was uniformly awful. And one of my elders, a guy named Joe, the story's in my book, a guy named Joe, he just, I mean, there was dead silence amongst the elders after I finished. Uh, no sympathy whatsoever, by the way. And, uh, uh, and Joe, he just broke the silence. And he said, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And spent about five minutes pointing out everything good that it happened and everything that God was doing. And I'm like, God, I'm sorry. And I learned the lesson there. Thank God. That's God a lot of years ago. If I didn't learn the lesson then, I'd be in a real mess now. And, uh, uh, but that's what being troubled can do. It causes you to miss what God's doing. It causes you to focus on the wrong things in your life. So this dread, anxiety, and being troubled or uh, distress, dread, anxiety, and distress work together in your mind, conspire together to debilitate you, to make you ineffective, to cause you to lose your faith, to stop living as a Christian, to have brokenness in your relationships. 
So you've got to recognize them and you need to deal with them. You need to deal with them. You can overcome this dangerous conspiracy against you. It is possible to do it. It's possible to do it. And I'm going to suggest a few things from the scripture today, although there are other things that you could add into it, I'm sure. The first thing, if you're going to overcome the dangerous conspiracy in your mind, the conspiracy among dread, anxiety, and being troubled or distress, if you're going to do it, first thing, you need to sanctify the Lord of hosts or honor the Lord as holy as the text said, or regard the Lord as holy. Now sanctifying, obviously we're not making the Lord holy, but sanctifying the Lord of hosts or honoring him as holy is seeing God and acknowledging God for who he is and acknowledging your relationship with the God of the universe. Acknowledging that there's one God and you're not God. You're not the one God. Acknowledging that there's one sovereign Lord of the universe. Now, one of the real dangers in contemporary Western Christianity, and it is a real danger, is that a lot of people have or promote sentimental attitudes toward God. What do I mean by that? Oh, well, you know, God's just my best friend. It's just like we go to the cinema together, we go out and eat pizza together, have a beer together, you know, because God, you know, me and sometimes, like me and Jesus, you know, we're tight. We're tight. You know, and that's, that's a bit like me saying, well, you know, King Chuck and I, uh, we're really good buds. That's offensive, isn't it? Now, it's not to say that God's not our friend, because he is. If he wasn't our friend, we'd all be dead. So, and that's not to say that God doesn't want to have a close connection with us. If he didn't want that, Jesus wouldn't live inside of us in the power of the Holy Spirit. No, but that is to say that there's a certain informality and sentimentality that we can bring into that, uh, our understanding of God and our relationship with God that is fundamentally disrespectful and dangerous. Even if I was King Charles's best friend, I would still refer to him as your highness, your majesty. Because there's a deference that he owes, that we owe him as an earthly ruler. If that's the case with the king, how much more so is that of the king of kings and the lord of lords? So we've got to be careful of these casual buddy attitudes about God. That's why God said to Isaiah, hey, don't, don't call conspiracy what these people call conspiracy and don't dread what they dread, but honor the Lord as holy and let him be your dread. Let him be your fear. And if we really understand who God is, that should give us a healthy sense of fear and respect there. Because Yahweh, as is pointed out here, our God, that's his name, Yahweh is the leader of the heavenly host. That's the Lord of hosts. He's the leader of all the armies of heaven. He is the living God. He is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. So we need to set apart the Lord as first and foremost in our lives. Because he deserves that. 
And we need to trust the Lord fully because he's the only all-powerful one, all-knowing one, and all-good one. And so that's where it begins. If you don't honor the Lord as holy in your life, you will never overcome the conspiracy against you in your mind. And then we need to listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said here, talking to the people, he said, guys, don't, don't worry about what's going to happen. Don't let the anxiety you know, percolate. Don't let it take over your life for what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. You know, don't worry about that kind of thing. No, the Lord knows that you need it. Remember, you're honoring the Lord as holy. He knows these things. He's able to provide for you. In a sense, anxiety becomes an affront to God in that way. Oh, I don't think God's going to take care of me because so, I'm really anxious. No, no, you can't do that. So what does Jesus say? He says, okay, seek first God's kingdom. That means you need to make this your first priority to go after the kingdom of God. And kingdom here, it means the active rulership of God. That's God's kingdom. God is working in the world today. His rulership is ongoing all around us, and we need to be looking, hey, God, where are you working? And join with him. We need to be seeing what the Lord is doing. And you do it. Like parents, you do that with your kids. You look at what the Lord is doing in their lives, and you call it out. You focus on that. You're seeking God's kingdom to come in their lives. In your workplace, what's God doing? What is he saying? How is he moving? And how can you be part of that? You seek his loving rulership first and foremost in your life. And this means that you have to live in obedience and trust. And it's absolutely essential if you're seeking first God's kingdom. And all these things will be at You know what we do? You know what I just did? I did it on purpose. We often forget the second part of what Jesus said. Seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. The both go together. In other words, you say, seek first God's righteousness. But what is that? It's about right relationship. Righteousness is having a right relationship with God and a right relationship with other people. Now, I've talked to many people in my life say, well, you know, I'm, I'm following God. I'm just listening to God. That's why I'm not going to church right now. That's, not why I'm, that's why I'm not getting together with others. Well, you're not righteous because you cannot have righteousness with God without having righteousness with people. It's impossible. You are not living in righteousness with God if you're living in unrighteousness with a leader. You're not living in righteousness with God if you're living in unrighteousness with your spouse. You've got to seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And God's righteousness is about having and maintaining a right relationship with him through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can do that because we've been saved by grace through faith, not because of anything we've done. And we have to live in righteousness with other people. 
That's why Jesus said the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So if you're going to overcome the conspiracy in your mind, you will never do it unless you're seeking first, as a priority, the right relationships with God and with others in your life. Absolutely essential. No. Dread, anxiety, and being troubled thrive on broken relationships. They thrive on broken relationships. So we have to honor the Lord as holy. We need to seek first God's kingdom and seek first, first priority, God's righteousness. And then I think I would summarize that last verse of Jesus as choose your focus. You need to choose your focus. It's one thing we can do every day. And focus is absolutely essential to overcoming dread, anxiety, and being troubled. Martha was troubled because she didn't focus on Jesus. You know, I allowed that anxiety to well up within me and almost break a relationship because I wasn't focused on Jesus. Now, my friend that was struggling with this dread about cancer, she struggled because she didn't focus on Jesus. Even though she's a Christian and loved the Lord, and I honor her leadership and her maturity in the Lord. But in that area, she hadn't focused on Jesus. So we've got to choose our focus. Jesus says, and, and I see Jesus saying this with a smile on his face. Really. Uh, it's throughout the text, if you're reading it. He says, you know, guys, don't worry. Each day has enough trouble of its own. There's enough sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't add to it by looking for some more from tomorrow or picking back up what you left behind yesterday. Focus your attention away from that which causes the dread, the anxiety, or the distress, and focus it on Jesus. Choose to focus your attention away. Focus on today, not what could happen tomorrow, and not what happened yesterday, but focus on where the kingdom of God is today, what you need to do to maintain righteous relationships today. Make that your focus, and the opportunities that God puts before you today. You'll have opportunities that will come tomorrow, and you'll have opportunities that you missed yesterday. That's okay. You focus on what's there today. And above all, to understand sufficient for the day is its own trouble, you need to focus on God and focus on God's faithfulness. Because he is faithful. And we know that because we have the guarantee of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for us. He rose bodily from the dead on the third day. And he invites us to surrender our lives to him, to walk into a life of obedience and even intimacy with him, but obedience and relationship with him and through him with the creator God of the universe. And all that happens by God's grace, not because of anything that we do. And if we follow these, we can overcome the conspiracy in our own minds. Many times, 
as uh, the old saying says, we have met the enemy and he is us. Many times we ourselves are our own worst enemy. I've seen this time after time after time after time. And we're good at blaming others. We're good at blaming God. But most of the time, the things we want to blame others for are just simply our own fault. Now, as I saying, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. You know, and just because you have dread, anxiety, and, and be in trouble doesn't mean there's not anything to fear or be anxious about or get troubled over. There are a lot of things out there. But we will never be able to deal with what's around us as long as we allow this conspiracy to go on in our minds. We're surrounded. We're surrounded by conspiracies. Sometimes people in your workplace are conspiring against you. Sometimes people in the church are conspiring against you. We're surrounded by these things. Some of them are real. Most of them are not. But frankly, the greatest conspiracy that we have, that the greatest challenge is dealing with that conspiracy in our own minds. The conspiracy between dread, anxiety, and distress that we so often carry around. That's our challenge. And especially now. As you all know, our world has changed significantly. Our culture has changed significantly. And there are too many Christians that are behaving like Christians are still the majority. There are too many Christians that are behaving like England is a Christian nation with Christian foundations and everybody, if given enough time, will choose Jesus. And it's a lie. It's a lie. It's not true, if it ever was true, and it certainly has changed. We need to understand, right now, Christians are being arrested in the United Kingdom for praying and for sharing the gospel. In the States recently, a guy was evicted from a shopping mall because of a shirt he was wearing about Jesus. A shopping mall. This is the kind of dynamic that we're living in. We're no longer a majority group, nor can we behave like we are a majority group. It's a season where we have a lot more to learn from our brothers and sisters from other nations who grew up in contexts that were not Christian at all for how to thrive and how to move forward and how to flourish here. And I still believe that it is God's desire for us to thrive, for us to flourish. I believe it's God's desire for us to live life fully. I believe it's God's desire for his kingdom to come and his will to be done here on earth, in our culture, in our time, as it's done in heaven. I believe it's God's desire to use us to advance his kingdom, to build healthy churches, and to see hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people coming into the kingdom of God. But we cannot walk into that if we allow dread, anxiety, and distress to inhabit our minds. We cannot walk into that unless we seek first his kingdom, seek first his righteousness, choose 
our focus carefully and above all to honor and worship the Lord as the one true living God. And with that, everything can change. Our mindset must not be a mindset filled with distress, anxiety, and dread, but a mindset filled with the kingdom of God, a kingdom mindset led by Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you, we worship you, and we adore you. And we thank you. Lord, I pray that you would weed out every trace of dread, anxiety, and distress from our minds. Lord, show us how so often we've been capitulating to it, giving in to it. And let us step away from it, to move away from it, to leave it completely. Let us be a church that seeks first your kingdom and seeks first your righteousness with you and with others. Let us be a church that honors you as holy in everything because that's exactly what you are. So Lord, show us, reveal to us the dread, anxiety, and distress that we might remove it and walk in the freedom of a kingdom mindset all for your glory and praise. For we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's worship.